0: to help orient our minds and our our hearts uh, to the Lord as we listen to some scripture this morning. And these verses are from Psalm 61. Psalm 61 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Who would come here this morning with all kinds of burdens and all kinds of struggles. Um, <clears throat> hearts are with, with Vern as he's, as he's uh, dealing with the loss of his wife. And just, just so many uh, things that people uh, need God's help for today. So just take a moment, bow your, your heart, bow your mind before God, uh, and just come to him. These words from the psalmist are very honest. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Just take a moment. uh, Bow your heads before the Lord. There will be more details next week, but starting Thursday... Mornings on February 23rd, there's a special gathering for moms of six and under. So young moms, uh, we know that it's really important to come together to have a time of encouragement. So that'll be on Thursday mornings at 9:45, starting February 23rd. Talk to Marla or Nancy, Marla Smith or Nancy Fennessy, if you have questions, or I'm sure there's others. Um, and there also are will be some cards out on the welcome table with more information so pick those up on your way out if you find yourself interested in in that demographic generation Jesus you guys are dismissed
1: thanks Alan I would not have done the announcement that uh, well so I'm glad that you did it uh, and my wife would have been lamenting it but anyhow even if you're not a mom in that age group but you know a mom who is please pick up the cards. They're for invitations, and so we want as many moms to avail themselves of that as they can. So please uh, pick those up as you leave today. I need to pray, so I'm going to ask if you would uh, join me as we pray. Father in heaven, uh, we can sing this song that we just sang about you being faithful all of our lives. And it's true, but it's not always what we feel, it's not always what we think, it's not always what we um, are clinging to, but I pray that it might be. And I ask that you would work in our hearts, that we would see you in all of your goodness and all of your faithfulness, even in the midst of our trials and our challenges. I ask that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law about who you are and what you desire and what your plans are for us. In your goodness, and we pray it, Father, that you would teach us and train us and mold us and shape us by your Spirit for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Walking to work this week, I am actually riding my bike to work this morning. Uh, I heard the birds singing, actually the robins, reminding me that spring is in the air. And as I thought about spring in the air, I thought about, well, we're starting our series in 1 Samuel, and uh, the the news of a king is on the horizon as we begin our study of 1 Samuel. But he's not here yet, and we're not there yet, but what we are at is a place in history of God's providential plan of redemptive history from the beginning of Genesis through the book of Revelation were at a particular stage right at the end of the turbulent period of the judges in which the word of God tells us and we'll get to it as we get to chapter 3 of 1st Samuel that the word of the Lord was rare at this time but wickedness among even God's people was standard fair in the world at that time as it is today. And so we see and begin in 1 Samuel, his story, it's God's story. So as we look at 1 Samuel, I want you to think about it that way. This is God's story. It's God's story about who he is. It's God's story about how he works to fulfill his plan to redeem a a human race that is deserving of eternal condemnation but in his grace and mercy he provided a way for us to be restored right back into relationship with him it's a God, it's a plan where he is faithful to fulfill his covenant and to deliver us from condemnation so central to the book of 1st Samuel which actually in, in the ancient text it's 1st and 2nd Samuel okay it's all one all one work but they broke it up essential to that that text, and we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel, is the introduction of an earthly king. You know him as David. But we're not there yet. We're going to get there. But it's the introduction of this earthly king who foreshadowed and, dare I say, feebly represented the true king, Jesus. The true divine and Davidic king. Because Jesus came from the line of David. And this true and divine and Davidic king is the only one through whom we can be restored right back into relationship with God. He's the one who brings the redemption. And all of the story that we're going to be looking at points us ahead to to that story. Surprisingly, but not accidentally, the story begins with a heartbroken woman weeping in Ephraim. One of the tribes of Israel, and one of the nations and lands of Israel, just a little bit north and west of the Dead Sea. She's there in the hills weeping. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there because we're going to see in Hannah's story and her example... In these first 28 verses of the book that we're going to be studying, three faithful responses by those for whom God is enough. Those for whom and, and that can sing the song that we just sang, that all of my life God has been faithful in the midst of even the trials. And so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'm beginning with verse 1. I'm not going to read all 28 verses. I'm going to read down a portion of the text, probably through verse 18. And then we'll begin to unpack it. Now, there was a certain man from Ramath-Aim-Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth an Ephraimite. And he had two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. And two of the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept. She would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better for you or to you than ten sons? And then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made her a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as uh, as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad, and then They arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. I'm going to stop there. I'll pick up the rest of it as we go through it. But in the text we see these, I think, these three faithful responses on the part of someone for whom God is enough. First of all, we see God's hand even in our hurt. And there are two hurts over which God's sovereign hand rules. In Hannah's life, I think he rules over the same two hurts in our lives. These aren't the only hurts over whom God rules. First of all, our brokenness. Now, Akana was of the priestly line. We know this from 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And he had two wives. Okay, So we could dig into that deep dive into polygamy if we wanted to. My comment on that is two wives... Was permitted, not prescribed, and evidently, absolutely always problematic. Enough said. Of these two wives, Hannah was favored, in contrast to Peninnah, who was fruitful. <laughs> okay? Now notice, Hannah was favored, the text says, in verse 5, for he loved Hannah. But she had no children, verse 2. Because, verse 5, the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. And by contrast, Peninnah was fruitful. And this provided a recipe for conflict in the family. Bearing children in that culture, was a sign of God's blessing. It was linked to a woman's significance, her stability, her security were wrapped up in the fact that she was able to have children. I could go into a deep dive onto all of the different nuances of all that, but take my word for it. So much more different than our culture today, having a child was essential and so critical in the heart and soul of a woman. And Hannah had none. In God's providence, Hannah was barren and she was bereaved because of her barrenness. But in reality, she doesn't share that kind of, you know, she shares with very, some women that brokenness. But with all humanity, she shares brokenness. Because all of us know pain. All of us know pain. Some, it is the inability to conceive. And some who have conceived have lost their children through a miscarriage. And you would be amazed at the number of women for whom that's a reality. And it's a pain that they never, never leaves them. And for others, it's singleness that is the barrenness, that is the brokenness. And for others, it's a financial ruin. And for some, it's the loss of a loved one. Or a diagnosis. Marla and I are going to be meeting with a, a couple this week, friends of ours, and uh, we are fearful of the diagnosis that she has just received. It's not a good one. Some know the pain of just your health is going downhill. You're just not able to do the stuff you used to do. You're just not able to get around. It's hard and we are here this morning and my brother Vern is with us and he and his family are weeping and in pouring out their souls in grief because of the loss of his dear wife, Mary. And others of you know that Payne Elkanah now was a, was a devout man and so he went up every year to offer sacrifices. Probably. I, I don't think this was probably one of the three festivals. That the, 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 every Jewish man was required to go up. And, and sacrifice probably just a, a regular habit of his. To take his family for personal worship. In accordance with God's word. Which says in Deuteronomy chapter 12. You can read the whole chapter if you want. But it says we should, they should go up and worship the Lord. Wherever the Lord has chosen to dwell. And at this point in time. It was in Shiloh. And as he went up and worshipped, Elkanah would give portions, the text says, in verse 4. Portions to Peninnah and her children. And notice the text says all of her sons and her daughters. She was fruitful. Some would say that maybe uh, Elkanah had married Hannah, and because she wouldn't have children, then he married Peninnah, and Peninnah was able to have children, and then accentuating the hostility. We don't know that for sure, but here's the point. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. And why would he do that? He would give a double portion to soothe her broken heart because of his affection for her and because of her affliction. Okay, now ladies, track with me here. You're in the throes of deep depression, sorrow in the soul, your ache in your heart, and your husband's demonstration of his deep devotion is a second slab of roast beef. Feel the love? Honey, I love you so much, I'm gonna give you another piece. I mean, this is after the sacrifices, this was the food they'd get, and this was his effort. Our brokenness is accentuated, at least hers was accentuated, and ours can be too by our, our belittling. In verses 6 through 8, we see that uh, verse 6 it, it says, her rival. That kind of gives you the conflict, you know. They're in the same household, her rival. Her rival, that is banana, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. The very thing for which she was aching in her soul is the very thing that her rival threw in her face. See? Deal with that. Deal with that. Provoke her bitterly with her heartless and hurtful and hateful words. Now, the intense provocation, and the word provoke is actually a word which means to roar or to thunder like a storm. It's like a hurricane within her. This is like just rising up within her. It was a, a vicious storm. It happened year after year. It says here, but what do you mean? She has to go back to Rama and live in the same proximity and household with Peninnah, who has all these children, and she has none. So year after year after year, it's thrown in her face. And so the text says she would not eat. She wept and would not eat. Now, it doesn't mean she never ate, because we see in the next few verses that she got up from eating and drinking and went to pray. But she was despised and hurting because the very thing that ached in her soul she had reminded of her. She was reminded of it. I I know a a, a man who, uh, when his his family would gather every year, and he would take his granddaughters and he would take them into uh, and and weigh them, and then make comments about their weight. Not a good look. Uh, Painful and reminded year after year, and she was bitter, and God in my opinion, in my understanding, God's not instigating Peninnah's sinful behavior, okay? He's not instigating her provocation. He's not instigating her sinful activity. And he never does. So sinful activity to which we are subject by another person is not, oh, God is sinning through them. God forbid. He doesn't do that. But it is of his hand so that it can be used by God to guide us and to encourage us and to strengthen us. It's to guide us in such adversity. So, Hakana comes in verse 8. And uh, he, he offers his love to her. He offers himself and his love to her as some sort of sufficient compensation for the ache in her soul. Why am I not better to you than ten sons? Okay, before we crucify the guy... Uh, Let's, let's give him some credit. I mean, it, it's well-intentioned. I mean, he, he, ha- he loved her. So he's, he's just you know, he's way off base in his appropriation of his love. But give him credit for trying. Okay? It was insufficient, but I would submit to you that it was an, also an idolatrous suggestion. Isn't it interesting that even in our culture we hold up romantic love? Marriage, or perhaps not marriage, but just intimacy without marriage or some perversion thereof, as the solution for the ache in our soul. But it's not just marriage we hold up as some sort of anesthesia for the ache and the the hurt in our soul. It could be educational achievement. How, How many letters do you have after your name? You know? What is your position, your title in the company or in society? It could be financial success or fame. These we hold up as the source, as sources of security, significance and stability. When, in fact, I like Jeremiah's assessment, they're broken cisterns. In Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, the prophet says, you have you you have you have committed two sins you have forsaken me the fountain of life giving water and you've dug for yourself cisterns broken cisterns that hold no water they give the look that they're helpful but they actually are leaky so folks romantic love the titles and positions and all of the things that we are prone to look to that we can control that we think will provide the satisfaction of our soul, our leaky cisterns. Only God is enough. Only God is enough. There's two truths I think I, we should cling to. First of all, God, and, and I want you to be encouraged, I hope, God is not ignorant of, but aware of, and involved with every, every, every aspect of our life. He's not some, you know, absent, distant deity, but he's personally involved and caring about what's going on in our lives. God uses our helplessness. God uses our hopelessness for his glory and for our good. For our good. And so I was, I've been reading through uh, one of the passages, or one of the, Portions of Scripture I've been reading through daily is is Genesis. And you know the story of Joseph, right? Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. But God used that horrible circumstance, the betrayal by his family and his unjust imprisonment, to bring his family back out of the throes of a famine and to save them and deliver them. And God is at work, and you know the song, when we can't trace His hand and we don't understand, we are called to trust His heart. His heart, to accomplish His will, not necessarily accommodate our wishes. And so life is hard and difficult and taroed. But we must understand and we must see God's hand even in our heart. Secondly, Hannah's response is instructive because in Hannah's response we see that we too are called to seek God's help with our whole heart. And there are three aspects of heartfelt prayer and conviction, uh, prayer that we see here. First of all, a conviction of heartfelt prayer. In verse 9, then Hannah rose, I like that, rose, circle that word, she got up. She stood up, one translation says. I see it as an, uh, a decisive decision. She was taking action, okay? A decisive decision in her heart to do what? To draw near to God rather than to be driven away from God. In the midst of her pain, in the midst of her sorrow, in the midst of her ache, she didn't run. She ran away, she ran to God. She drew near to the Lord. Three evidences of her conviction. First of all, as you read through the text, you can underline or circle the expressions of her passion. She was greatly distressed, it says in verse 10, and bitter of soul. She wept bitterly, okay, in verse 10. In verse 13, she was speaking with her in her heart but only her lips were moving there was no voice, There's no sound and her behavior was such that even Eli thought she was drunk because she was, her lips were moving but nothing's coming out she denied it in verse 15 what did she say I am oppressed in spirit and I poured out my soul before the Lord I would submit to you that God's providence includes pain. And Hannah reminds us that in our agony we can come humbly yet boldly to the throne of grace. You think about Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot be Who cannot sympathize with our weakness, the one who is in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's what she did. And we see her conviction in her petition. She starts her petition in verse 11. She says, and and, and she made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, allow me to indulge me, the, the Hebrew says, Yahweh Sabaoth." He, he is the absolute ruler and authority over all the forces in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And he alone has power to grant her petition. And that's to whom she prays. Lord of hosts. She comes before him, the Lord of hosts. She was passionate. And she was personal in her prayer request. But she was certainly not petulant. She certainly wasn't irreverent when she came before God. As Solomon reminds us not to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 2. Not to approach him. But she gives this vow, this conditional prayer. If you will, if you will look up on, upon your maidservant with, and not forget me. And will remember my prayer, she says. Verse 11. And not forget she's doing is saying to the king of the universe would would you just take a look and not ignore my plight would you would you see me and in her prayer we can see i think that god takes an interest in the broken in the bereaved and in those who have been berated and she's also humble You can underline, circle, or just look at. In verse 11, three times it says maidservant, maidservant, maidservant. Your maidservant. She comes humbly before God, seeking him, but she comes boldly. She's not demanding anything of God, but she's desiring that he would hear her prayer and respond. And she recognizes that we serve God. Not he, us. We're his servants. He doesn't serve me. I don't go to God so he does what I want him to do. I go to God so he does what he wants to do. And I align myself with it. And then, if you do this, then what will she do? I will give him to the Lord in lifelong service. I'll give him dedicated him to the Lord. I think has Hannah's prayer represents a seismic shift in perspective that she went from being someone who wanted it for herself she relinquished concern for her own comfort and replaced it with a commitment to God's cause I'm not just praying this for me I'm praying it now for you Lord because what how is she going to benefit from a son that she gives back to the Lord her safety, security, and significance aren't going to be found in the sun. They're going to be found in the sun. God of the universe. What she asked from God, she asked for God. You can't change my perspective on prayer. What do I ask from God? Am I asking from God what I'm asking for God? Or am I asking from God what is for Steve? It's a a challenge. See, God's not manipulated uh, into serving our purposes, okay? But God responds favorably to right motives. James chapter four verse three tells us this: "Right, we have not because we ask not, and we ask not, we ask with the wrong motive." Okay. Then we see another evidence of her conviction was her persistence. This is verse eleven. She continued to do it. (laughs) She just continually kept praying. Uh, which Jesus kind of told us we should do in Luke chapter 18. The parable of the little woman who went to the lawyer and kept pestering the lawyer. And Jesus says that you might persist in your prayers. Okay? And then we see not just the conviction of prayer, but the confusion of prayer. In verses 13 and 14, uh, you know, she's misunderstood. I kind of thought she was, you know, tipping up the, the bottle a little too much. And uh, interesting to me, maybe not to you, but peculiar that the high priest was caught off guard by spirit-led worship. Like, That's strange. What's strange? That she was pouring out her soul to God and there were were no words coming out of her mouth, but her mouth was still moving because she was praying in her heart. See the same thing in Acts chapter 2. With the religious leaders claiming that the apostles are gone off the deep end. They're drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning because the, the Spirit of God is at work. And then we see the clarification of her heartfelt prayer in verses 15 through 18. and verse 16 and 17, we see that, that Elkanah warmed up as Hannah tries to defend herself. No, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my soul out of my provocation to the Lord. And he warmed up to her humble explanation of her heartfelt petition so that he even blessed her and he even said, I, 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 would, I would want and desire that God would give you the answer to your prayer. And then verse 18. Fascinating. in then verse 18. And, and she said, let your maidservant uh, find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. What? her face was no longer sad. Year after year after year, the provocation, and now after she had poured out her soul to the Lord and received the blessing from the priest, now her face is no longer sad. They don't think it was just the passionate prayer and, the, and the, the priest's blessing, although those were part of it, part and parcel of it. I think what's going on here is that her perspective had changed. Because her plight was the same, right? She still was barren. But she's saying, you know what? Okay, you're enough. Her stability, her security, and her significance were no longer in having a son, but in knowing that God was enough. We see God's hand, even in our hurt. We seek God's help with our whole heart. And finally, we show God's honor for his grace. In verses 19 through 28, there are a couple of ways that she honored God that I think are instructive for us. First of all, we can acknowledge God's work of grace. Notice it says in verse 19, then they they arose in the morning and and, uh, uh, they went home. She got pregnant. And the last phrase says, the Lord remembered her. What was her prayer in verse 11? Lord, remember me. And here we see the Lord remembered. It's an affectionate way of referring to God's answer, revealing his concern for his people. It's not, in my opinion, a name it, claim it thing that, okay, I'm going to ask and whatever I ask, God's going to give. No! That's not what the text is saying. God does not always... Some of you and, so, and I have prayed with passionate prayers and God has not remembered us in the way that we asked. Why not? Well... It may be because my motive was wrong. James chapter 4. Ask with the wrong motive, you don't get it. Maybe my request was wrong. 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. We must pray, and other passages in John 14, pray according to his will. Right? And it may be that the timing is wrong. That's Luke chapter 18. That's why you keep praying, because God may not answer it yet. Many, Some of you could bear testimony that you prayed for years and years and years and years for the same thing. And God never gave you the answer year after year after year. But then eventually he did. What's that about? Wrong time. Wrong prayer? No. Wrong time. And so she persisted in prayer. And you see that then Hannah named her son Samuel. Which literally means asked of God. And in verses 27 and 28, four times, the, the same Hebrew verb form is used, which is translated ask. She asked of God. And so the text tells us that she is acknowledging that what she asked from God, God gave her. And so she's praising God for it. Uh, Creekside Church, a few months ago, we're, was, we were asking God for an associate youth pastor. And God remembered us and gave us Jesse. And his family. So it's asking and receiving. But we acknowledge that it's God's grace. Because we ask and he graciously gave. Secondly, we act in obedience in light of his grace. Uh, Though the child was young, uh, she gave him to the Lord. In verse 24 it says he was young. Probably about three years old. Okay moms, you can give your three year old over to some uh, guy in the temple. That's kind of freaky. But she was obedient to the Lord. She didn't back out. It's kind of interesting if you, as you read through this. Because Elkanah says, uh, are you going up with me? And she says, no, I'm not going up this time. I'm going to wait till he wean the child. Then I'm going to take him up. This is my paraphrase. And, uh, and he goes, well, are you gonna, let's make sure that the word of the Lord is confirmed. I think Elkanah is trying to make sure that Hannah is not reneging on her initial commitment to dedicate the child to the Lord. But she didn't. She gave him to the Lord. And while Samuel is destined to play a significant role and an important role in the history of God's redemptive story, uh, he's a prophet, he's the last judge, he's the first prophet, and he's a priest. Uh, He's not a king, but he anointed two of them. And so he's a big-time guy. I think what we could say here, I don't think it's a stretch to say that even though he played such a significant role, that uh, every believing parent... Who has been gifted a child. Should in some sense. Say this is a measure of God's grace. And I give this child. Back to you Lord. For your service. So. uh, Those of you listening online or here in person who who maybe are not uh, tracking with this whole idea of of God providing a, a king for a redemptive story and not sure where Samuel fits in all that, and you may not have ever personally put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I would submit to you and to all of us as well that it seems like to me that Hannah initially wanted a son for the same reason the people of Israel wanted a king. Prosperity, stability, and security. That's why she wanted a son. But what God says to her, what God says to all human beings is that these things, prosperity, actually significance, prosperity, stability, and security, aren't found in a son. They're not found in anything except in him. Everything else is a broken sister. And we can chase it all we want. But we'll never find it. God only, only God is enough to deliver us from the brokenness by restoring us into communion with Himself. And the restoration comes only through our repentance of sin and our reception of His true King, Jesus. Through whom in He alone are we made complete. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. You can read it later. In Him you are complete. In whom? In Christ. And in Christ alone are we complete and may be restored back into relationship. So my challenge to you if you're here and you don't know Christ is you turn from your sin, you trust in this Son, Jesus, and you will be made whole. No matter what you're chasing, it's an empty way. It's a broken cistern. You'll find your fullness, your stability, your strength, your significance in Christ. And if you know Christ as your Savior, Hannah shows us that God's enough. He's enough to give us peace in the midst of our turmoil. He's enough to give us purpose in the midst of our confusion. He alone is the one who leads us. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He's enough to help us endure life's hardest battles, to enjoy life's richest blessings, and to enter into eternal glory. God is enough. And as we Take time to break bread. And uh, we see that bread and the juice as a provision, a symbol of the provision God made for us to be saved. And it came through a sacrifice of this true king that we're going to be talking about, so that all who believe are forgiven and then made complete. And the bread and the juice. they they represent his body and his blood which were sacrificed reminding us the price that Jesus paid so that we could be complete so that our pardon would be such that we could know absolute and eternal absolute and eternal satisfaction significance security and stability so if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior take a moment or two and search your heart And Confess any known sin. And then as you feel moved, as the praise team plays, you can get up and go to the back or the front. You'll find the elements for the communion there. You can take them right there or you can take them back to your seat and take them in the privacy of your own heart. But as you do, let let it be a time of, of sober reflection on what Christ has done for you and me and also a time of rich celebration that by His grace... And by his grace alone, we can be free. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy and kindness in our lives. I pray that you would work in our hearts, Heavenly Father, that through the person and work of your Son, Jesus, who indeed is God in in the flesh, that we might find true and lasting satisfaction, significance, and security. We pray in Jesus' name.